Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. We are live at the Western Canada Apartment Investment Conference here in Edmonton. Our guest today is Paul Chaput, Senior Vice President of Institutional Property Advisors. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. So, Paul, like, let's just let's just start the the company you're at now. How long have they been around for? When did you join them? So, IPA Institutional Property Advisors. It's a division of Marcus Millichap, which is okay. a very large. I, I've described it as boutique, but it's it's not boutique. It's 88 offices strong across the states and Canada, and it's been going since since the early 70s. Over time, the well, and Marcus and Millichap is solely focused on investment sales and primarily multifamily. They derive about 40% to half of their book is, is multifamily transactions. So they're a preeminent apartment sales group. Over time, the multifamily class, as you guys know, has expanded from just being owned by mom and pop and, and private local groups. It's expanded across all platforms of investors. So institutional groups, REITs and more sophisticated buyers have popped up over time. And that's where IPA sort of grew out of is servicing that side of the market. And they've been on a, a Canadian push for a couple of years to, to grow, I, I believe. Yeah. They, so uh, late last year, they purchased the Prime Corp guys, Ike Ifrates and, and Sam Firestone, Nick Pantieres out of Ottawa. So they have an Ottawa, a uh, Ottawa, Toronto kind of IPA East group. And then, uh, yeah, we moved over in February of this year. Uh, so my team of Bradley Gingrich, Braden Arth, Jane Wortman, and myself, we moved over uh, very recently. So let's just go backwards from here. Sure. So where were you before that and how long have you been there? So before that, I was at CBRE for the last five years, which was a, a great experience. We sort of set, set our team together in that period. And we were able to do a number of the kind of most significant trades in, in Western Canada, the Harpar portfolio in Calgary, the Hendricks last year in Edmonton, Edgewater. We've, we've had a, a really good run the last three years we've done in Western Canada, we've done half a billion dollars each year. Just a trade. shameless plug, a number of yeah. those <laughs> proudly sponsored, by, uh, proudly financed by First National. Um, and then, and so how did you get into apartments? I mean, before CBRE, yeah. were you fresh out of uni? Like what yeah, was the strategy? Yeah, pretty much. So I graduated in 02 and I believe, and, and with a, a finance degree, so a business major, marketing minor, finance degree, I thought I'd be in... Working at First National. Working at First National. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I didn't even know First National existed. It would have been like, oh, I'll be a, I'll, six, I'll go be a six stock Six minutes broker. ago, he walked up, was like, what's First National? What's First National? Yeah. What, are, what do you guys do? <laughs> no, I know you guys well. No, it, it was, it was uh, finance degree at the U of A, thought I'd be a stockbroker. As I was graduating, there was, uh, there was a stock market crash. I can't remember if it was the website website bubble or, or what it was, but it felt like everything I'd learned had just been tossed out the window, but I still liked investing. So I, I had a couple odd jobs through the summer and discovered that commercial real estate existed. And I was like, well, I, sh I should probably do that. So I just sort of found my way into brokerage, which I think in the early 2000s wasn't really very well known. In Alberta, there weren't, you know, there was no real estate programs as part of my degree. So it was somewhat of a hidden gem started with Collier's. I worked there 
Doing what? As in, as in, in apartments or well, what were you doing then? I started as a research researcher for three months and then the first group that had an availability for an assistant were the apartment guys. I love uh, that. It's always just yeah. total happenstance, so right? It's, yeah. and, and you know what? It, it actually makes sense. You guys are in the same business. It's an opportunity business, right? So first opportunity that came, I jumped on it. And frankly, apartments are something that right out of university you can... You can kind of get your head around. You lived in one. Than, You'd already lived in one. Yeah. <laughs> I already lived in a few grimy ones. Yeah. So you fully understood uh, the repairs I, and maintenance involved yeah, in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, angry tenants and and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So so it made a good natural fit. It was an opportunity right away. And then within the first year and a half of of being at Colliers, part of my team left Colliers, and so my senior guys left Colliers to go to CB, and I was sort of left to either keep rowing that boat or follow them to CB and be an assistant for a much bigger group. I ended up making a proposal to Avis and Young at that time and they accepted it and I went over and started a multifamily division there in the Edmonton office. Was there for nine years, became a principal there and then partnered partnered back up with some of the guys, Bradley Gingrich in particular. All you're missing uh, is Christian Wakefield. So yeah, we're going there next. I have, the, I have the dubious <laughs> honor of, of four brokerages now. Which hopefully <laughs> the, no the lucky fourth is uh, <laughs> is the one. But yeah, I've had a few business cards uh, all on the brokerage side, all on uh, all on multifamily. Was it sales that attracted you to you, or was it the money that could be made, or what was the, yeah, the driving force to get you to research? Well, it was and, and or there, boredom. There was no. It was it was opportunity working with the starting in the business. I got a really good education from two senior brokers, and they they both had wildly different approaches to business. One was a consummate salesman on the phone all the time, call, 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 and just as much mud on the wall as, as would stick and eventually something would stick. And the other one was more surgical. You know, A plus B equals C and this is why and this is the how and two phone calls later and you've got a deal. And so I got a really good sense of how deals could get done. And then it was real quick. I had I had an opportunity to do it for myself and I was able to put together a good sizable deal in, in the first year or two that sort of, you know, you, you get a taste for doing deals and then and you just want to keep doing them. So I'm a bit ignorant. On the broker side, like what, how many deals would you do a year, right? Kind of on your own. Like on, on our team, we've got a team of four. We'll do maybe 20 a year. Okay. So outside and that of keeps the team, you, And that keeps you really busy. That keeps us really busy. Yeah. That keeps us really busy. Uh, well, there every deal you do, you got to pitch in a few that you might not win. Yeah. And it's, sure. uh, yeah. so it's yeah. not, I guess deals not much different than financing because financing, yeah. Adam, like we, you must do about 20 deals a year, right? So yeah. So and, that's right. and that's, and that's as a team, but as an individual broker, you're probably doing five. So it, that's what I think that's why a lot of investment sales groups have really moved to that team format because you do five a year, that's five out of 12 months with a paycheck. And and, that, and and if they all load up in January, well, you got a great year, but if you don't, you might starve if they all happen in December. So that team out of necessity, out of competitiveness, that team aspect of oh, well, there's probably efficiencies really too, because you, you share analysts, you share expertise, somebody might have different relationships. You can go in as a group and show you, power and numbers. Have, you you know, have there's the a lot of attributes. And numbers. You have a really really wide reach, the breadth of understanding of your market. You know, when I, when, I was, uh, when I was on my own, I felt like I had a good sense of the market, kind of looking out, looking out the front windshield of a car. Well, now it, I have three partners that are equally as engaged, and, and it feels like now we're flying in a helicopter looking down on the market, and we're seeing it all, and, and we're surprised by only, only small things or stuff that 
frankly, in the last five years, we haven't really been that surprised. Yeah. We've, we've, a couple things have slipped past us, but great segue to the market. Yeah. I mean, let's uh, well, hold on. Let's pause there. Anyone's ever been <laughs> at a conference? This is that point of time where they really want to get everyone back into a room to start the next segment, but everybody just wants to stand outside and mingle. So they're ringing bells and they're putting out announcements and they're ringing bells and they're putting out announcements. Um, Paul and I were in Saskatchewan last week. Sorry, this is a diatribe. Paul and I were in Saskatchewan last week and. One of the the people that works for the forum for they hit Informa. you with a stick. To no, no, get no. You she said she came to me. She's like, is Saskatchewan? They're the best behaved uh, <laughs> members or constituents yeah. or, or people that come. You ring the bell once, and everyone just quickly like a herd into go. the room. Time yeah, to go. where she said like Toronto and Montreal. She's like, you ring in that bell for twenty minutes, like literally carrying people into the room so they won't get going. And you know, yeah. I'm sure keeping a schedule when you got you know five hundred, a thousand people is so so difficult. Anyway, let's segue into <laughs> Calgary Alberta market. Sorry guys, but for anybody evaluating the audio quality. <laughs> the attendees of the conference are heading back in. So yeah, we're no longer, yeah. we're, if, you're not, if, you haven't, if you aren't here and you're listening to this, you know, we were just surrounded by about 250, 300 people, literally sitting in the middle of a, of a swarm of real estate people networking. Yeah. So it should get easier to focus. Well done, Paul, so far. Thank you. Yeah, you guys good, have uh, your backs to them. Yeah, I, was getting, uh, I was getting some interesting looks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's all right. Yeah, wait for someone to walk up and shake your hand or to start a conversation <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the yeah, middle yeah. of the podcast. Yeah. Right. The markets. The markets. Yeah. 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 So I guess uh, from a higher level, which markets do you primarily focus on? So our team and our our business has really, really evolved over time. Our group, we feel we've been on the the forefront of a lot of the new build products. So we've been selling raw land or, or, you know, zoned and, and service land to builders and then selling their buildings. And those builders, as markets change, have had, you know, had to change where they're where they're building. So we've had builders take us out to Winnipeg and take us as far east as Winnipeg, as far west as, as Vancouver Island. Our primary focus is Alberta, Saskatchewan, but we do get into Winnipeg and, and through BC, we've done deals in, in Kelowna recently. And, but even, and even further east, I have seen your team on the subway in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> is, a lot of, any business there? Well, a lot of our buyers and it's it's where you, you got to follow your clients. You got to follow your clients, and it's where our mostly the buy side clients are, are coming out of Toronto, the institutional groups. There's a smattering of them out west, but the bulk, I'd say, seventy or eighty percent, are in Toronto. Do you share with your counterparts in the eastern side of Canada? Like, would you say, "Hey, I've got a client that I know from here. He's coming out there looking at apartment buildings," and you'll do it, pass that off? And I guess there's a there's a fee split or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. It because uh, they they know that market better. Yeah. Particularly, it, you know what, it, where it where it really works is on the private side. On the, on the, on the institutional side. Ike doesn't need me telling him about AIMCO, right? Yeah, he, yeah. Knows, he knows them. But if we just did a, a, a big deal with a, a you know, private capital here, they would have, most groups out east would have no, we would have the relationship with the, the local family and say they're looking for product in Toronto. Yeah, we'd, we'd work with our, uh, our counterparts out there. Where's the, uh, back to the markets, where's the hardest place to get a deal done? In? You know what? We're finding that deals are getting done. Like you, you saw the stats earlier, $800 million in, in Edmonton, 250 million in Calgary. Those are really healthy numbers. Every one of those deals was a grind and, and you guys have been on the financing side, right? The, the, everyone is scrutinizing the numbers more closely. The cap rates have compressed to record low levels and you know, debt has you know, shot up a little bit, come back down. So maybe there's some room for some further cap rate compression, which is actually what's needed to you know, liquefy some of these assets because rents have been under pressure. There's, you know, Edmonton and Calgary had 7% vacancy through a good portion of last year, which had a negative impact on rents, of course. And, and so, you know, 
you put a building under contract and you're expecting a, a rate of return and then you, you know, the, the purchaser digs into the numbers and he's okay, but then the lender digs into the numbers and they go, well, these last three leases were, you know, we're... With a free TV. Yeah, we're, we're with a free TV and a month and a half free. And so those things are all factored yeah, in. Us, There's us picky lenders. We like net effective rents, unfortunately. Oh, you guys, yeah. you guys used to be Not fun to deal with, but now it's just, no. You, you, it's everyone is scrutinizing harder. And for good reason. The margin for error is so much smaller, right? If you were doing six, seven cap deals and you found out that the, the rent was off by a little bit, well... Your six cap is five and three quarter. Yeah, you're okay. yeah, you know, yeah. A five cap at- deal, you lose a quarter point, and that's your, you know, the, the it's 20% more impact. Can you explain the, the compression of cap rates? I mean, I think some of our listeners say, well, wait a minute, I thought Alberta market was kind of slow. If anything, the cap rates would be, you know, going the opposite direction. So what is, what's driving that, that compression? Uh, it's a, as much supply demand as, as anything. You know, we've got, we've got Mayfair Village, uh, sorry, Mayfair on Jasper is the, is the name. Uh, we've got that just out for, on the market, 109th Street and, and Jasper Ave. How many units? Uh, 234 newly constructed apartment units right in Center Ice, Edmonton. Main floor retail. Is everything There's leased, a, including the every, commercial? No, the commercial The commercial's not. The commercial's been a bit of a challenge. It's, it's great visibility and solid walk traffic, but, you know, mixed-use product, it, it, there's always generally a focus on either the res or the, or the retail. They've done a really good job mixing both, and they're on a really prominent location, but they have a lot of space to work through. So they've got an Orange Theory, and they've got a bunch of, of service restaurants that are doing quite well, but there's still some more pockets to fill. The Multi, it came out at the same time the Hendrix was trying to lease up, all of our residents was trying to lease up, the Vibe was trying to lease up. There's a 1,000 units, all sort of 18 months dumped in a very small node of the city that just takes time to work through. At, at certain points, there was a month's free rent to two months free rent being offered in, in some of these buildings. That's all pulled back. We're now, you know, those, those buildings have all stabilized. There's no more, no more free rent, which uh, that incentive, you know, there's, there's maybe a, a $500 gift card or something like that. There's still some incentives, but it's really pulled back. There was a, there was a time Adam and I were doing this podcast, it must have been a year and a half, maybe even two years ago, where we did, it wasn't a full episode, but we were talking about the number of approvals Coming out of the Edmonton uh, yeah. City Council, and yeah. we I can't we kind of counted our fingers at one point. We was like there's like seven thousand units, condos and yeah. apartments that were approved all at once, and they were going to build a ninety story tower. And you know, so I, I think a lot of that might have just been, you know, it's, maybe overblown. But what, what are we seeing well, now and, that and, that and seems Edmonton, to have settled? Edmonton is still largely a local developer driven driven market, unlike Calgary, right? The you know you've got Aimco, Oxford, Bentall, you've got all the big guys in there with these huge plots of land ready for. 500 units and in 15 years from now well it could be 15 or it could they could all go at once once one decides right and they all have the staying power to to do it they're sophisticated so it's not like they're just going to arbitrarily make this decision but once the once they decide to go they're going and and it's all getting done a lot of the other deals that in in edmonton that have been approved are local groups that have a single tower it's 150 or 200 units and they are like all the things have to be in place for them to go. They don't have the luxury of a 20-year horizon on the back end once they've built it, like the institutions do. So there, you know, we, we might see 7,000 approvals. I would think we're going to see 2,500 of those built over the next five years, maybe a little bit more. And those groups are going to be ready to go, ready to go, ready to go. But they just don't have 
don't have the horsepower that some other markets have. And, and Aimco is, has, has taken big positions in some properties in Edmonton, but I still think that that market as a whole is, is still more of a, a local developer-driven market. And Alberta has a rich history of when they develop, it's game on. It's pedal to the metal oh, yeah. and then screeching the brakes on. Yeah. And five years later, same thing again. So they, yeah. I think that these cities are used to seeing massive development in a short period of time. Yeah, and, and we saw it earlier, one of the slides, housing elasticity. Edmonton can, can turn the taps off real quick and shut them off just as quick. Do you think uh, that mentality is changing? I think that's, a, that's a, attached to the sort of the oil industry and the resource industry that's kind of boom and bust and kind of fluctuates, you know, more significantly than, than a lot of other industries. I think that's changing. Like, I feel like there's a diversification of the economy going on in Alberta where they're, you're probably going to have less of these sort of serious ebbs and, and yeah, you know, downturns. So. No, I, yeah, we've seen it. Yeah, a ton, of, a ton of construction projects, a lot of infrastructure projects, a lot of manufacturing, a lot of tech. So yeah, Alberta has been diversifying a lot. We, we have a world-renowned healthcare system and it produces a lot of uh, exports that I, I had no idea it did. So that's got to be good for you and your team, just more consistency in the marketplace. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. More consistency and, and frankly, just the, I think the mentality of investors looking at Edmonton coming out of the 90s, you know, Edmonton looked like it would never... It would never survive. It was just going to wither away and die. And, and that is so far in the past. I can remember a, a managing director at one of my earlier firms very famously saying that Edmonton would never see net rental office rates in the downtown core above $10 a foot. Never. Absolutely are tough in real estate. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> tough. And, and, and good on him for staking his flag in the sand, but he, he was wrong. And, and you know, it's, it's ebbed and flowed, but, but the markets come back in, in a big way from, from what I think a lot of investors out of Toronto just remember Edmonton as and, and Calgary as a, as a one-trick pony kind of town. So, yeah, there's a lot, a lot more going on, a lot more diversity, which just strengthens the fundamentals of the market and, and gives investors trying to come in more to hold on to, right? More, yeah. more to bite into. Of the, I mean, you're in a handful of provinces. So sub-markets within those provinces, where would you see the most improvement in the last six months? Like, and when, by what metric when, you, would you measure Well, and, and yeah, that's a, that's a good... There's, there's rents, a, a, maybe rents is the easiest way to use it because that kind of drives everything else, right? Yeah, and, and yeah. Uh, Edmonton... Oh, sorry. Edmonton, Edmonton and Calgary, they have... Okay, well, let's start at the east. Rents in Winnipeg have been accelerating. Vacancy's been low. There's been very little product added. You know, it's a smaller, small-ish market. And we just sold a new build in the suburbs at a five cap. That building in Edmonton would have been a five and a quarter, five and a half cap. Like the cap rate was, was lower. The, the yield that this group was willing to accept was lower because that, it's a tight market. And they see, they see rents accelerating from here. Edmonton and Calgary, I think rents have plateaued and that's probably the plateauing is a is a real positive. There was you know last year seven percent vacancy in both those markets, three percent four percent vacancy five percent vacancy. Landlords start hitting the panic button in Canada. It's not like the states where ten percent vacancy. Everyone's putting a shovel in the ground and trying to build more, <laughs> but seven percent was concerning. And there was more product coming on in both markets. And now we're at five and a half percent in Edmonton and three and three nine or four in in Calgary. So. Those markets have both strengthened, even in the fa- in, in light of 
recent economic and in both, downturn. In both downtown cores, you're seeing even tighter vacancy rates, right? Yep. Like that's this kind of tough to blanket one vacancy rate across a, it's, it's a large enough town where you got to talk about different neighborhoods. Absolutely. Well, and there's, and there's a bifurcation of market product. And, and a lot of that is you could look at it by neighborhood, but you know, the better central neighborhoods are the ones getting those new shiny towers, right? And, and, you know, if you're renting nearby that tower and the tower's finally ready, it's, you know, it's sort of a coin toss as to whether you're actually ready to move or not, right? You might have six months left on your lease, right? You, but you hope to be able to, to move into that. So all these bigger projects do take, you know, they take like a 12-month gestation to do your, do your lease up is, is sort of standard and, and almost fast when you think of, you know, if someone, if a tenant just wasn't paying attention, but they can afford the rent, they might have recently signed on with a, you know, an inferior product with a competitor, and it'll be at least, you know, eleven more months before they're ready to yeah, rent from you. Move. Taking a bit of a left turn, unless Adam, you have like one more it. question on the market. I like it. One, one more for the market. Okay, go. For your team, so this wouldn't be necessarily you know reflective of the markets as a whole, but just yeah. for your team, where are you seeing the most deal deal volume from? We're seeing institutional groups, whether they're they're REITs, uh, the, the private side is always very cap rate, yield focused, debt focused. Those deals, are, they're just, they're tougher to do these days. The institutional side, particularly from the buy side. So we just listed a, a massive portfolio in Edmonton, 832 units of high rise concrete product in three different, three different properties. That's, we're gonna have every institution in, in Canada looking at that hard and they're, they're gonna be in the, you know, the going in yield is a, is a three, three and a quarter, which sounds, the, sounds crazy, old, but it's older all product. Upside. It's, it's older all, product. Yeah, it's older product. What, how, how old? Like 30, uh, 40, 50 one, years? One building, the premier building is built in 2002, 2004. Oh, so not that old at all. That one's not. And that comprises about 300, uh, 320 of the units. The other two properties were built in the sixties. And uh, those have, those have the most, the most upside. The other, the 3.2, we're seeing a lot of that older concrete product. You almost throw cap rate out the window, right? You're oh, yeah. really looking at a, at or, a price or, per or, pound. Or looking at a stabilized price per door, cap rate. Yeah. That, kind of, that kind of metric more than the going in yield. That, well, the real question is what, how much do you have to spend to retrofit the suites? And what rent can you get on the, out, on the outside? As the, as the selling broker, there's ver- virtually nothing. You just mop in a broom and you just, <laughs> no, there's, there's significant. And the, the, big, the big question is, what do you do that the, tenants, that the tenants will pay you for? And what are the CapEx things that you need to do? Like a tenant doesn't pay you just because the roof doesn't leak, right? So the things that you need to do just to, you know, keep the cash flow going and the stuff that you can do to the suite that the tenant's actually going to pay you more money for and having that perfect balance. So a lot of, a lot of what's traded, the focus is always on the upside and what's got to be spent to, to extract that. 5,000 a door to 20,000 a door. Can, these groups are looking at, at yielding three, four, five hundred $500 more in, in rent on some of these suites. The upside is fantastic. The, the challenge is from asset to asset, if it's built in the 60s, What's, you know, what are the windows like? What are the, what, what's the elevator shaft doing? What's, so a lot of that stuff is where the, where the big questions lie. Can you put some per square foot metrics just for comparisons across the country? What's the going in per square foot rent on average? And, you know, you're saying three, four, $500 on a yeah. lift. What's that look like on the outside for per square foot? Yeah. So 
like some of the towers downtown, you're buying it at a buck, a buck ten, a buck twenty-five a foot, and you're you can renovate and get up to nearly two bucks if you do. And we've seen guys get up to three bucks in in some of these cases. And the you're coming you you do at at certain points butt up against the new the new product and and. I can't think of one building in any city in Western Canada that if you renovated that, you'd pop it above what, you know, what a brand new building would achieve. But those brand new buildings are 250 to $3 a foot. So if you're still, if, if you're buying at a buck 25 and you're, and you're able to get it to a buck 85, $2 a foot. It's a good lift. It's a good lift. And you're, and you're below, you know, you're not, you're not buying at two bucks and trying to get 275 when the new product's coming out at 250 to 275, right? You're not right in... Trying to try and, yeah, trying compete, to you're not dive against, right you're into not the, against the yeah new you're stuff. you're creating a product that provides value below below what the new build does. Can I make my left turn now? Your left turn, please do. Okay, so when you're sitting in front of that client that you now are listing the 800 plus unit mm-hmm. uh, portfolio, what are you saying to them to say you know you should come with us, not our competitors? Because you're I mean, you're, and you must be sitting against your your colleagues at CBRE and some of your your old colleagues at Avis, and like why are they choosing you over over the other I'm, guys? Absolutely. Well, I I, I think. First and foremost, for us, it's 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 our team. It's we've got a we've got a really robust group. There's four of us. We have a tremendous amount of market coverage. Arguably, we don't think we're rivaled on the amount of scope and scale that we we can achieve for clients and the amount of exposure, just through the four of us. But on top of that, our new platform is fantastic. IPA, all our listings through IPA go out through this Real Capital Markets program. That when we took Mayfair out, we we had access to about 6,000 unique email addresses and those aren't all individual buyers, but you know, five might be at the same company, but we had, we had 3000 views of it and 300 active groups. We had 15 CAs from American groups that we weren't, we just didn't have access to that. Some of the more robust brokerages, there's a network, but often that network comes with, you know, some territorial issues. Our platform's different and we, we have access to, pension funds throughout. If Ike's looking for capital coming out of California, we have the same access to it. There's not a uh, segregation from, uh, from that perspective. In that marketing process, we, we got a, one offer. They were a bit off the pace, but we got an offer from a unique group out of the States and we had 15 CAs signed, which... The in confidentiality last, agreements it, for those don't yeah, understand. Sorry. Yeah, okay, and, no and problem. Lingo. Um, yeah. And... In my five years at the biggest brokerage in the world, I can't say that any listing, I saw 15 unique buyers step up to sign CAs. It was quite so, something. Uh, this is, I'm going to, but it's, okay, so let me, I got two different questions. Start with one. I mean, in rarefied air, I'm, I'm assuming at 800 plus units, you're talking 250, 200 million dollars. So that's all of a sudden you're not looking at, you know, a hundred potential buyers. There's 20, right? So yeah. quickly. So every other, I mean, every other brokerage can say, I know those 20 also likely, yeah, unless I mean, like you're talking about maybe there's a German pension fund that's never entered Canada that you might have access to, but you know, so how are you, are you, is it price? Like, are you, are you ever talking price? Like, yeah, yeah CBRE says 225, I can get to 250. Or is that, I mean, the, Oh, that's yeah. <laughs> that's ongoing. The, the, that's ongoing. That's the, the broker, the, the adage is uh, the client, higher again, price, lower fee, yeah, I believe. Yeah, well, is, that's, is that's, often where I, that's where I was going. Cause the client, I mean, clients sophisticated, they own 800 units. Like they probably know in their head what they think they can get for yeah. it already. You, yeah. you don't need to tell them. They're not going, Oh my God, I thought 150. You're saying 250. Like I was way off. Right. Yeah, so, I so think, it's fee. Is that, is that ultimately what it comes down to? Or? Well, yeah. Yeah, like fees have been compressed. We're doing our best to uh, to expand them again. But uh, in a lot of these deals that are two hundred and fifty million dollars, yeah, the, the percentage fee is is quite compressed. Often in those kind of deals, we we will walk in and 
you tell us what our fee is, right? Like we, we're <laughs> yeah. not we're not going to lose well, and over then, that. And, and, then, and we it's if we had ten quarter billion dollar deals to to choose from as brokers, you know, maybe we could dictate our fee a little bit, but uh, we, we really don't. So, you know, we're, we're there, you know, we want to get paid for our services. Yeah, of course. But, what, um, so if, if you were the client, and don't put words in their mouth, but I'm going to ask you to put words in their mouth, what would they say? Why did they choose you over, over the other guys? I, I want to say that track record, Aaron. Come on now. Well, no, hey, I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, no, no our, fair. Our, and, that may, and it may just because our, you're our, likable. I mean, likability is a thing too, yeah, right? Yeah, I'm for the sure. most likable broker <laughs> yeah. on the planet. Yeah. So it says it on his business that's card. Number one, it actually says that. No, it's it's yeah, our, our track record. We can really. I've been doing it 16 years. My partner Bradley's been doing it 20. Braden's been doing it for 10. Uh, Jane just started with us. She's up to speed. No one kind of puts that together, and then we span a number of markets. So that, the amount of deals that we've done, you know, we realize it's a fallacy to, to say that that just dictates that we're going to continue to do all those deals. I think we work really hard at maintaining the, the position in the market that we're at, but we get to offer a pretty interesting perspective when we walk into a boardroom in Toronto and we can talk about Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and BC, and a lot of our competitors, they're, you know, they might be two cities or, or they might, they might have heard of a deal in another market, but they're not really doing active deals daily in those markets. How, how often do you come across people going, who's IPA, who's Marcus Millichap? Less so now, but I mean, maybe yeah. you just joined like, well, three we just, or four we months just, ago. But. We just joined in, 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 in February and our first order of business was getting out to the market and saying, you know, this is IPA. We're still, you know, we're still the team, but we're, you know, this is the new flag we're flying. And, and you're speaking on a panel today, probably serves the same purpose as that. And yeah, that's your new that, uh, that, yeah. That, that all helps. A lot of those people in that room. Appearing on podcast definitely Appearing helps. on podcast. Yeah, I have, I'm on the podcast circuit now. I, yeah. <laughs> the circuit of one, by the way. Yeah. The circuit. In fact, we got to sign something afterwards that says you're not allowed to talk on any other <laughs> yeah. commercial podcast. This is proprietary. Yeah. You can't use this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it, it, we've had a lot of those conversations. The, the previous brokerage, CBRE, is a massive, massive group. At no point was a door closed carrying that business card. But I can say in the three months that we've been with IPA, those those doors are all still open. I, I can't think of one one brokerage firm that you know has a client that just won't deal. Well, yeah, Un- unless you're talking, you know, private clients. That's another thing. Private capital. There's some really deep relationships, and and that's murkier. But when it comes to institutional groups, there's that's reputation. There's, I guess in the yeah. long the long answer, the short answer is it, reputation it, is kind of trumps everything else. I think so. Yeah, which is probably true in every real estate industry. Right. I think so. I think without trying to be too cocky, I think the flag, no one's hiring us for the flag. No one hired us at CB for the flag and no one's hiring us at IPA. So it's, I started my career at Collier's and when you're brand, brand new, it is handy having a really well-known Absolutely. Uh, yeah. name, but then it do, that does diminish pretty quickly. Yeah. 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 Aaron mentioned German pension funds coming to left field to do deals. And I don't know if he's got one in mind or not, but are you seeing new entrants to the market? If he does, oh. he better tell me. That's, 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 <laughs> no, it's mine. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're investing yeah. in mortgages only. Yeah. But the space you're operating at, which obviously, you know, we're talking numbers here are you know, big chunky deals, which is a small group of buyers. Are you seeing any new faces at the table that kind of surprise you? We're, yes and no. Like this, this last one, we, we saw a number of groups out of the States and, and it's always... Primarily, we, we deal with institution, the institutional faces in Canada, and they'll have a fund, a half a billion dollar fund or a $2 billion fund, and they'll be hunting for multi, and you won't know what sovereign fund has a quarter of it in some cases. Or So what we found in, in Western Canada is 
foreign funds are generally entering the country through some sort of conduit, institutional pension fund advisor, that kind of avenue. There's not new fund advisors popping up every day. It's, it's a pretty, uh, pretty small group and, and they don't seem to be growing that much. We feel like we have a little more access to direct foreign investment capital through this new platform. Over time, we're, we're going to see, and, and you know, we saw one group, one group make, a, make a strong bid on a, on a property. They weren't able to win it, but they were at the table. So there's potential, but again, I, I think Canada, our institutional, our pension fund advisors are, are really good at what they do, and they really know the market. So if, if, you're, a German, if you're a German fund, why wouldn't you let you know, Timber Creek or Morgard or you know, Oxford or someone do run, it for run, you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right? Uh, learn, know, they know the market already. So back to the market in Alberta, what for the new build side of the industry, where, where are you seeing the new builds happening and, and do you have any kind of explanation as to why? Yeah, there, there, there's sort of two markets. You're, you're either wood frame deep suburbs. So that's outside the ring roads. Um, the sort in, of mid-size, mid-rise. Yeah. Mid, mid-rise, low-rise. So your four story, five story wood frame. We're starting to see some six story wood frame and, you know, Light on amenities, you know, generally they're, you know, good transportation access to, to the, either the Anthony Henday or, or Stony Trail in Calgary. And, you know, you, you've probably got, you know, a regional shopping center nearby. It's got a Safeway or Save-On and, and some of those amenities, maybe a gym. So, you know, those buildings are on-site amenity poor, but have good access, good amenities around. And, it's a high efficiency and, and I guess they're drawing from the older stock that's in that area that just people... <laughs> looking to yeah, get well, into a nicer looking building. Absolutely. Yeah. And you, and I think if I can uh, <laughs> date the three of us, I, back when we were in university, like you knew, you knew someone was renting, right? The product was already 30 or 40 years old and it, it smelt like it had been lived in for 30 or 40 years. And so, you know, those were maybe some more central or, or periphery, periphery central locations, but those rents keep kept escalating and, and until about 2010 when meaningful levels of supply were coming on you just you just had to hope that your landlord was was kind of improving the property and updating it but it still still felt like rental well now not only has there been new purpose built built out in the suburbs that's affordable 1500 bucks gets you a two bedroom two bath we've seen the condo market under pressure and a lot of those buildings have moved to rental well now now you have you know what used to be a two bedroom one bath lino and, and laminate countertops, you now have two bedroom, two bath, granite and quartz, you know, nice appliance packages, the, the actual condo spec moving to full rental. So there's even a little bit of a bifurcation in the sort of generation 1.0, later 2000s, uh, 2010-ish to today, 2019, you're seeing, you know, hard, are you, you're seeing mid-grade condo out in the suburbs being converted to rental or being sold as rental prior to being sold as condo. And then you, and, and then you, it'll mention the core too. So you're yeah. seeing, you're seeing and the same thing. And then yeah. Purpose built rental in the core. But now high rise, I'm assuming. Yeah. High rise, both Edmonton and Calgary, uh, Calgary, primarily in the Beltline, Edmonton, right in downtown or, or in the Oliver neighborhood, which is just West of downtown. And those have, those have all, you know, they were all a really good idea at the time. A couple buildings all came out at once. And so it took some time for the market to work its way through there was a bit of a dogfight in Edmonton for a year, year and a half, and now it's largely come come through. Those buildings are full, so there's bits of supply coming on, but but generally it is that central tower construction. And, and I think one of the areas that's that's an interesting opportunity 
especially for some smaller investors, to get the massing to do it on an institutional level would be tough. But in some of those neighborhoods that are periphery to the core, you can probably still build in wood. So build in the, the less costly format and be playing off some of the, the metrics that a lot of, a lot of what's driving the interest in, in, in the in, core. In the core. Yeah. And what price point do you think that would be? Like what size could this project? So, you know, you, you might be building a 20-sweeter, you might be building a 50, you might even get up to 100. It's pretty tough to get the massing. Um, but very snack size for a lot size, of yeah. mid-size uh, yeah. developers. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And private groups, as opposed to buying a site that you can plunk 300 units down, and the, and the question is, do I do it in, in one tower or two? You know, you're, you, uh, as a smaller investor, you, you, it's virtually impossible to compete in that You start getting into more institutional money, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think we're wrapping up. Paul, that was great conversation. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, thanks for your right trooper. Right in my wheelhouse. You know, yeah. um, <laughs> this was the hardest one. Adam and I have done, I don't know, 50 or 60 of these, but this was the hardest one I think we've ever done just given the fact that we were surrounded by 250 people and then right now they've been setting up tables and chairs getting <laughs> yeah. ready for lunch. So there's all sorts of stuff going on. People coming by, shaking yeah, hands just, uh, and yeah, only, poking, only poking us funny and taking, faces taking and pictures people. and stuff. Yeah, so this is yeah, yeah. the most distracting and you've been, you've handled yeah. it like a pro. I was just waiting for my yeah. mother to walk through or something. <laughs> yeah. and like bring, your, bring your lunch or something. Well, it could be wrong, but I think one of your partners just strolled by a minute yeah, ago. Yeah, he took too. a picture. Yeah, yeah. it was nice. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> Commemorate the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, make sure he shares it on uh, social media, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. We want to thank our sponsor, First National. We want to thank Informa for having us here at the Western Canada Apartment Investment Conference. This is year two. I'm sure we'll see year three next year. We want to thank Paul for coming on. It's been great uh, having you. Thanks, guys. And uh, to the listeners, of course, if you're interested in Western Canadian apartments, this episode would probably fit a lot of your contacts and clients and friends' interest level. So fire it off to them and share the, uh, share the knowledge. Thanks a lot, Paul. Thanks, guys. That was fun. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.